All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Delivered by DoorDash. Welcome to episode 106 of the DFO Rundown. I'm Jason Greger alongside Frank Saravalli. Officially four weeks out from the NHL trade deadline. And uh, we had a trade on the weekend involving uh, multiple players, uh, Arizona, Dumping some salary, uh, adding a body, um, Toronto getting a defenseman. Does that mean uh, either team is done? Probably not, but uh, it's the start of uh, more trades uh, starting to heat up a little bit, Frank. And uh, what do you make of this uh, Arizona-Toronto trade? Makes so much sense for Toronto, especially to get off of Nick Ritchie's contract. I mean, that's really the key in all of this. They were going to have to pay someone to do it. And in turn, they ended up also getting a defenseman that they like, have spent time studying and feel like could be a fit. I mean, you think back to their overall top objective for the trade deadline, and that is to find a new partner for Jake Muzzin to improve their second pair to get an upgrade in that spot. I don't know if Ilya Labushkin is an upgrade, but it's worth trying given the acquisition cost being quite low, considering that you were trying to move Nick Ritchie's deal anyway. So they get out from under Nick Ritchie's deal. There's no net cap change this year for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Labushkin comes in for exactly what Ritchie's cap charge was while he was buried in the minors. And then on top of that, they don't have Ritchie's contract for next season. So if you're looking at it, Jason, from the Arizona perspective, perhaps they needed a guy 
or felt like Richie could be a guy as they try and get to the floor and, and fill out their roster for next season. So him being under contract is valuable to them. And the Leafs give up either a second round pick in 2025, which gives you a lot of time to replace that pick or a third round pick in 2023, which many perceive to be a pretty deep draft as it is. So to not have Richie's cap hit on your books next season when you're trying to allocate pretty much every every penny possible to replacing or signing Jack Campbell in net. And then what do you do? You're probably going to lose Ilya Mikheyev on the wing. You need a fourth line center. There's numerous holes to fill out and only about six or $7 million to go around. So you found a way to increase that a bit by this trade over the weekend. And oh, by the way, if Labushkin doesn't work out, you have four weeks to try it out and you can, and pretty much saved most of your trade ammo. You can either go out and, and get that authentic second pair defenseman that you thought that your team needs, or if Labushkin does work, that now gives you the flexibility and freedom to improve your team up front if you so desire. Yeah, I look at Nick Ritchie, and obviously it hasn't worked out in Toronto. You know, this guy scored 16, 15, 14, 13. I think the worst season he had prior to this was nine. So Arizona probably thinks you're right that they need salary, but that Nick Ritchie could get back to being a 10 to 14 goal scorer in Arizona where, you know, there'll be opportunity. I know people say, well, if he couldn't score with Marner Matthews, how, how's he going to score more? Some guys just, they don't, I don't know, maybe they don't handle the pressure. It doesn't work out for them. But, yeah, it didn't, it didn't work out for Nick Ritchie. I think, obviously, he lost his confidence. And I know when he signed that contract, a lot of people felt like he was coming off, like, one of his career best years. And it's kind of looked that way. So, you know, it's interesting when you say Arizona, though, Frank, and they're trying to get to the floor. They're going to play in a 5,000-seat arena. Like, it's just... There's, there's you're saying they're, of, they've already hit rock bottom? Is that what you're yeah, trying to like tell there's, me? There's lots of stuff there. It's like, oh, we have a 5,000-seat arena. We're going to play to the floor. And, you know, now they're waiting. You know, supposedly they're going to get this new arena. And I just, like, until Arizona's competitive, it's not going to matter. Honestly, like, to, to, they can have a new rink all they want. Um, like, look at Florida, to me, is the prime example. Florida, when they first came in, they had fans. They had the rats, and everybody was loving it. And they went to the Stanley Cup final. Then they basically had 20 years of not doing very much at all. And now oh. they're back. And look, like Florida is one of the, the toughest places to play. It's not like magically, you know, fans will go if they're not diehards. The fans will learn to go to a team that's competitive. And man, I just can the Arizona organization, regardless of where they play, become competitive. There's actually a lot of parallels there. Florida really strong to start. Um, get to the Stanley Cup final. You mentioned the Rats. They also played in Miami then. They pick up and move their team an hour north, basically into the Everglades. That's not really near where their fan base was or lives. Have to cultivate an entirely new fan base. The Coyotes, when they first got there from Winnipeg, were actually pretty popular, and the team was quite competitive. I mean, you think back to the players they had then, Ronick, Kachuk, um, Newman in like they had a whole bunch of players that were really good and they did well in their arena in downtown Phoenix that they shared with the Suns. And then they take their team and they move it 45 minutes. I believe it's West and East, I guess. And they, they're in a spot where it's not where their fan base was or lives. Yeah. Now that they're, they're, they're not competitive and haven't been for so long, like the Panthers weren't. And now you're hoping to find a new fan base, but you need a new arena. So new arenas first, get the team competitive second, 
And if they do it right, they might be able to marry all of those things together at the same time. If this rebuild goes according to plan, they're not going to be competitive probably for any stretch of their tenure at Arizona State. The thing I just keep coming back to, Jason, is where's this permanent arena? Like you can talk about temporary all you want. If, if there's no steel in the ground, if there's no shovels in the ground, I don't believe it's happening. And I don't believe that you're going to find significant support from one of the cities in or around Phoenix that's going to pony up major government funds to build your arena for you. Yeah, no, it's totally valid. And the one thing that they're going to have to do in Arizona, they're going to have to draft a Huberdo and a Barkoff and an Ekblad. Right. Like that's that's think about how how bad the Panthers were for so long while they had those guys. Yep. Well, even for the first few years. Well, well, Frank, I still believe, man, a true if we want to talk a true rebuild, I say it's eight to ten years. I firmly believe that. Look at more teams like when I say a rebuild of where a team's crap, they're garbage for a long time. And um that Jonathan Huberto is in his tenth year in the NHL. Exactly. (laughs) It's actually hard to believe how long he's been in the league. Yeah, him and Nugent Hopkins, they've had <laughs> those guys were, uh, were were mired in uh, non-successful organizations for uh, for much of their career. So, uh, you know, and Huberto now, hey, Huberto's a legit Hart Trophy candidate right now. And the Panthers are absolutely rolling. But you know what? They got a legit center and winger and, you know, they got two pretty good goaltenders. And then you got Aaron Ekblad. And man, I really like that Florida team. So I'm, I'm looking to see what they do. I'll be curious to see what else Toronto does between now and the next four weeks. Frank, and the one other team we're watching, and uh, we're speaking of the Arizona Coyotes, uh, the Dallas Stars, they lose to Arizona 3-1 uh-huh. to one yesterday. Um, now, they're only four points behind Nashville, right? Uh, the, the Preds have struggled lately. They're 4-5-1, and one, so it's allowed Dallas to stay in it. Um, and Winnipeg, what, what do you make of the Stars like in the, in the next four weeks? Obviously, it's kind of make or break for that team. I'm very curious to see what Jim Neal is going to do because the Stars just – you know, they, they just kind of seem to be a meh team this season. They feels like they have been for a little while now. Right. Um, I, I guess what's alarming to me is, you know, you, you see the quote from Rick bonus after, and I, I just wanted to find it just to make sure I wasn't paraphrasing. And he said, we just didn't have the energy that we needed from the start. And I'm thinking your team's in a playoff chase. You're playing the 31st ranked team in the league in terms of points percentage who has little to play for. Why, why do they have more energy than you? Why isn't your team full of veterans? Why, why aren't they geared up and ready to go? What's, what's wrong with that picture? Whose fault is that? It's an interesting question because this stars team has so much to play for. And, and most of it is, is keeping this group together if they want to be. At the deadline, like they've got some really tough decisions to make. And, you know, if they're close, if you're, if you put yourself in Jim Nill's shoes, if they're close, do you keep your group together and go for it? Yep. Or do you look at nights like Sunday night and you say, they don't deserve it. We got to, what's in the best interest of this franchise is to, is to, you know, it's, it's not just to get into the playoffs, but we need to be good for a while. We've got major pieces. John Klingberg, Joe Pavelski is going to be a huge one if the Stars decide to move him. What about Alex Radulov? I mean, you could go down the list. 
Braden Holpe would be a big trade piece at the deadline. You feel like you can turn it over to Jake Ottinger. I mean, there's a lot riding on this, I think, for the players, I think, for management. And they've got hard decisions to make. I just haven't seen – they're kind of like Winnipeg this year, which has kind of started to turn it on a little bit in the last week or so. You see the outburst from Blake Wheeler that he's been on. I, I just haven't seen enough convincing evidence from either Dallas or Winnipeg that they've put their manager in a position where they need to keep the group together and chase a playoff spot. Yeah. It, to, to me, the, the West is fascinating because there's actually some playoff races uh, in the East. It's done. It's been done for quite a while. It's just more so going to be about seeding. And I'm not sure, you know, it's that drastically different. Although I will say um, finishing first in either division is a big advantage because you just avoid the second and third place teams. And- well, I, I was going to say it's especially important in the West to get that first wild card spot so that you can play the team from the Pacific and avoid Colorado. Yeah. So if, if you're Dallas and you're hoping to get in and you get the second wild card spot, what, what is your realistic expectation that you can take Colorado to six games? I mean, yeah. look, and I say that tongue in cheek, knowing that crazy things happen every year. And, and one of the best regular season teams in history, the Tampa Bay lightning in 2019 got swept by the eighth place team in, in Columbus. I, I get it. But what are, what are your realistic playoff expectations should you not trade those pieces away and then get to the playoffs and lose? Yeah, well, hey, man, speaking of Colorado, they're just an absolute freight train right now. They're 25-3-3 and in their, uh, in their last 31 games since December 1st. They're 22-2 and you know, in their last 26. Like, they are, they are just beating up on teams. Uh, they've ran away. Like, to me, they're the best team right now in the NHL. And we talked about it, uh, Tyler Assis, uh, you know, a few months ago, who we thought was the, and I felt Colorado had the easier run to the, uh, to the Stanley cup final. And Joe Sackick, like when we talk dominant teams, you mentioned that Tampa Bay team, Frank, they didn't really do anything in 2019 at the deadline. I wonder, you know, it was the, the next year in the last two years when they won and made pretty significant moves. I wonder, you know, what Joe Sackick does here in the next four weeks. People always say, well, geez, you don't want to break up a team that's really rolling, but we also know that playoff hockey is played differently, officiated differently at times from the regular season. So I'll be very curious, you know, Colorado at bare minimum, you you have to add like just a depth defenseman at least, you know, just to protect yourself more than anything. When we look at teams who usually need, you know, six, seven, eight defensemen potentially in the playoffs, but Colorado is so deep. They're so good. Darcy Kemper's found his game. I think you had him as your, your Vesna Trophy can at the start, and he's played like that here the last few months. So Colorado, to me, Frank, like in that division, you're right. You know, finishing finishing fourth or fifth, might, might all, all that does is get you an opportunity to, to, to play Colorado, and that's I'm not sure that's a real great opportunity. Right. And, you know, we had this conversation, I think it was last Monday, about the Avs and – where they go, I, I'm. It's a tough spot to be in. You also don't have a ton of capital in that you've already traded your first and second round picks. Um, cap space is at a premium. Like a lot of what they have to do is either going to be by retained salary or by moving out a piece that's currently on their team. Um, you know, and then you're starting to dip into your prospect pool. And I, I guess when you're at this spot, and you are so close or feel like you're so close to the Stanley cup that you move any prospect you need to. Uh, Justin Barron is a guy, right shot defenseman, first round pick 
whose name has popped up. I believe he's one guy the Avs are willing to move. Um, but it's 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 going to be fascinating to see what they do because I think what's interesting, and I you started to touch on it a little bit, is if you talk to, to people in and around the Avs organization that have watched this team play every night, as good as their record has been and as much as they've been a freight train, they see a lot of room for improvement. They feel like there's some nights where they're a little bit sleepy and they either you know, have a comeback or their goalie saves them that night and Kemper or Francis, who's also been really good since this run began. And they feel like there's more to give, like as good as the record has been, if you're on a stretch and you've collected, you know, 44 of 48 points that are on the table, it's, it's mind blowing how good that run is. They just feel like there's a next level that they can get to. And maybe that's where the trade comes in. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with you wholeheartedly too. The, the next month is is almost like, what are the top teams going to do? And are they going to counterpunch with each other? Like if if Tampa adds, does Florida add? You know, you look at Carolina, uh, the Rangers, Washington. And, and I still just hope, Frank, that like I'd love, and we've talked about this before, but man, I, I'm going to pound the drum every day. When, when it's clear who the top eight teams are in the East, for goodness sakes, just keep them in their division. Right now, you know, Carolina has the second most points. And so they would be uh, be staying in their division. They would take on Washington, who has the uh, the first wildcard spot, and Boston's in the second one. And then Boston would take on Florida. I just, it's a small tweak, but it's one the NHL should put in writing for the future. When it's four and four, everybody just stays in their division. Did I Did I just hear you quoting standings again by points and not points percentage? Well, yeah, because at the end of the season, points percentage won't matter. Everybody's playing 82 games. But it matters right now. If you're talking seeding, like it actually no, matters thinking, right now. But but no, look at points and um, it, look at points percentage, right? Florida has the most points percentage. Boston has the fewest. They're in the same division. So it's either way. It doesn't change. That's my point. Points percentage really became a deal the last two years because of COVID, right? doesn't really matter at the end of the day. Everybody's playing 82 games. So it it just cracked me up over the weekend. People were saying, Oh, Carolina and Pittsburgh, it's a battle for first place. Well, well, no, it's not like Carolina is significantly ahead in points percentage and has played three fewer games. Oh yeah. Well, that's why I look at there to me. I could just look at the points and say three games in hand and you're up two points. I got a pretty big advantage, but, but that's not how it was billed going into the game battle for first place. Well, no, it actually isn't. Yeah. But either way, I think the NHL, it's a small tweak, put it in writing. It should happen. If you talk all year about wanting to promote division rivals, when you get to the playoffs and it's four and four, and usually the wildcard teams are, they're separated by one point. So why are we having teams play in a different division over one point? It just doesn't Mm -hmm. make any sense to me. No, I'm with you. Speaking of tweaks, we talked about this this week on the Daily Faceoff show, and it was, should, is it time, you know, given the Eastern Conference, especially, is it time for a play-in? Like the NBA does. Now, did you watch the NBA play in last year, Frank? It's kind of a waste of time. Like you've got to, to me, we're, we're then, we're, we're manufacturing extra parity for, for teams that aren't that good. Like the 17th and 18th teams at the end of the day, they're not that good. So I, I am totally opposed to it. I know people mean it gives you more. Um, it's, it's kind of like false gives you more. And I understand it'll come down to business and money, 
But for me, I mean, every league has pretty much expanded their playoff pool. Have they not? Well, the NFL expanded because they only had 12 teams right now. They're up to 14. And I think the NFL eventually will get to 16 because one versus eight, right? Two versus seven, three versus six just makes more sense. Right. But Major League Baseball, they expanded not all that long ago. And and the NBA now has their play. And I kind of like for a year like this year, I like it. Like, could you imagine Detroit going up against Washington, you know, uh, you know, or so it'd be seven, eight to start and then nine, 10 play each other. Whoever wins the seven, eight goes right to the seven spot. And then the loser of the seven, eight plays the winner of Detroit and Columbus. Let's say Detroit, like the young talent they have, they've actually played, you know, they've held their own over this last number of weeks without really a lot of support on their team. They get a one game you know, shot to get into the playoffs against Boston. Like, I don't know, like that to me is good theater, good drama. And I know there does, there's a discrepancy, a pretty significant one in terms of points, but what it does is it keeps, you know, it, it first off is a little tune up for Boston. Should they win that playoff game? And second, it keeps everyone interested. It changes how you look at the standings it would change how we would, it would change the conversation immediately on how we view the East. Instead of it's been boring since January 1st, you're like, man, who's going to, who, what are these matchups going to be? No, that's fair. But like I'd mentioned when I researched it, like this is a massive outlier. Like usually the East, you're, you're talking a difference of two or three points between the ninth and the eighth place team. So, so then doesn't that even make your argument even more so that because there's really not much separating them, that there should be a play in? Well, they've had 82 games to get in. Like, I don't, so like they're going to play in and, and then what? They get to be the eighth seeded team and get their teeth kicked in by Colorado. Like that to me, I just like, I, I get the, I get the business side reasoning. I ultimately, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, it ma- and then it's, so do those teams, usually the regular season ends on a Sunday, usually. So the playoffs don't games- start till Wednesday. They play on like Monday and Tuesday. Or whatever the whatever yeah. it ends up being. Yeah, I mean, there's it. a way to do it, but I, I think especially now when you're looking for revenue and you've had your revenue shortened by COVID, no one wants a gimmick. You want the authentic thing, but I think there's a way to do it and make it feel authentic and also generate that revenue and the excitement. Like, like Detroit hasn't had a lot to cheer for in the last number of years. Like all of a sudden, you know, you talk about you know, making your way into the playoffs and you got to win your way in. no one's handing it to you. You still have to win your way in by beating teams that are ahead of you. No, no Hey, I, under, I understand the theory behind it. I just, uh, to me, it's, it's, it's manufactured and you're right, Frank, it comes down to the bottom line, right? To me, it would be a business decision more than it would be about anything else. And, and so I understand if the NHL um, decides to do it, obviously the PA has to agree. And I'm sure the NHL probably is going to watch the NBA and see what it does. Like they did it last year, see what they do this year in a full season and see if it's, if it's significantly different, like what does it add? If those games are, are kind of blowouts right now, I know it's a different sport. Sure. But you know, you can look at it. I, they'll, they'll follow it closely and they're probably going to, Hey, I'm sure the NBA guys, are going to talk to the NHL. Okay, how much extra revenue is this generating at the end of the day? They're playoff gates is what what it comes down to. Playoff gates and you make your TV partners really happy. 
So you're, you're an additional two and a half to 4 million bucks or whatever the number is per game. There's four of them. I don't know. It's free money. What if it's Arizona, Frank? How much? It ain't going to be Arizona. It's, they're not going to be anywhere close year, to that eight, eight no, to 10 spot for, for five years. Thousand seats. Yeah. So, but no, I see your, I see your business standpoint. I, you know, I understand it as running a business, but I just, I'm not, I kind of like the fact that it, like the NHL used, people used to mock the NHL because 16 of 21 teams got in, right? And then it was 16 to 22 and, and all the way up. And for the longest time, it had the highest percentage of teams getting to the playoffs. And so now it's at 50%, which is still way higher than the NFL. It's still higher than Major League Baseball. And so it's only the NBA now in their their new expanded one or two games that has uh, that has, has jumped ahead of the NHL. So I could see if the NHL says, hey, you know what? We, we've had a league for a long time where it was probably easy or easier for sure to get to the postseason. Now it's still harder than the other leagues. It's just not as hard. When you come Pretty sure the league hates this idea. Pardon? I'm pretty sure the league hates this idea. Oh. Like, I, I don't think that they're a fan of the idea of a play-in. I think they, they take the same stance you do, which is you've played 82. That was plenty of enough opportunity to get yourself into the playoffs. I just think... You know, your point is valid this year that there's a huge separation and, you know, doesn't make any sense to try it this year between eight and nine and 10. But in a normal year to play 82 games and to be two points off or some years, one point off, we've had years where the tiebreaker comes in. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It just makes sense to me. Well, the Flyers, 2010, they went in a shootout. I was there, buddy. All the way to the Stanley Cup final, which is crazy. But yeah. uh, um, we shall see. Uh, a few other things uh, in the West, the, uh, the Calgary Flames, you know, they add Tyler to Foley. It doesn't change anything. They are absolutely rolling right now. Uh, they're 9-0. and And I'm, I'm always curious about teams like Pittsburgh went on a ridiculous run. Now, they lost two games. They're four, I think, three and three in their last 10, which isn't bad by any stretch. But I'm always, I'm always curious. Colorado was expected to be a top dog. Like Calgary has everything running for them, Frank. And most importantly is health. No team's been healthier than the Calgary Flames this year. It's crazy how healthy they have been. And if they can maintain that, that's such a huge advantage. You know what really helped them with their trade is the fact that they're healthy and not operating in LTIR. You can trade Tyler Pitlick and make the money work to get Tyler Toffoli without having to trade anyone else on your team. So it made it a pure upgrade in that sense. You're not plucking any significant piece off of your roster. You're getting a guy that knows the coach, knows the system, is friends with and played with guys on the team. And it's a seamless addition. Now, the best part is because they're also not operating in LTIR, they're going to continue to accrue salary cap space between now and then. And they're going to end up with somewhere around 900,000 bucks at the deadline on deadline day in cap space that, you know, if you have 900,000 and you have a team that's willing to retain, you can add a pretty interesting depth piece probably on defense if you wait pretty close to the deadline to help your team without really having to finagle a lot of space. Yeah. Hey, they're, they're in a good spot for sure. I, I still think they might try to add a defenseman. Uh, if they can. So, and while they're in a good spot of, of adding, it's becoming more and clear, even I think it was clear a while ago, but it, with every day passing, it's becoming more clear. The Vancouver Canucks are likely going to be a seller, Frank. And, you know, you've heard the JT Miller name. You have Brock Besser. Like, 
I am very curious. Jim Rutherford, for the longest time, man, like he was a saving grace for uh, for different media scribes in different markets. He was trading everybody. Like if you were covering the Pittsburgh Penguins, Rob Rossi, and uh, we wish Rob all the best. Um, you know, he he had that no shortage of trade stories. Like Jim was wheeling and dealing all the time. And I'll be fascinated to see what the Vancouver Canucks do here in the next four weeks. I mean, I think it's rather simple in that they're developing their list in order of players that they'd like to move. And they're just going to work through it. Boom, boom, boom. I mean, I think Brock Besser is right at the top of the list. I think he's played really well under Bruce Boudreaux, uh, has gotten a significant bump and his value is increasing. I would think with team, you know, being able to show these teams, you know, sort of that he can get back to the level or close to the level that he was at previously, he's going to probably finish with 25 goals again, which is sort of right in his wheelhouse. That $7.5 million qualifying offer looms large. And for a team that wants to create salary cap space and salary cap flexibility, Brock Besser is a really easy way to do it and get value in return. So I think Brock Besser is at the top of the list. Um, You don't have to look very far in Jim Rutherford's history. He traded Tanner Pearson once and he sort of, you know, he hinted at the idea of my guess is trading him again when he said, you know, everyone looks at the top pieces on our team, like a Besser or like a Miller. That's not the only way to clear cap space. There's sometimes there's mid-level guys too. And, and Pearson at, 3.25, 3.25, you know, sticks out as a, as a sort of middle guy, middle tier guy that you could move that you look at his production and it's been fine. Um, you know, you could keep him, you could trade him, but he's certainly a piece that I think that they'd be open to moving. And then you start to go further down the list, you know, is Connor Garland really available? Doesn't really seem to make a lot of sense for me. His contract is a really good fit. Uh, he's played well this season has been a good fit on the roster. He showed up a lot of nights, especially in the beginning of the season when other guys on the Canucks didn't. What, what about Bo Horvat? What's the future of Bo Horvat in Vancouver? I would think that being the leader of that team and what he brings that he's probably in a pretty solid spot. And then, then there's the Miller conversation. I don't think they're in really any significant rush to move JT Miller. I think everyone's wondering, are they going to be able to re-sign him? What do those conversations look and sound like this summer? He's been a point per game player. He's an absolute value at five and a quarter and teams that are really interested in JT Miller, like take the New York Rangers, for instance, they have basically moved on to other pieces on their list. What are, what's our plan B? What's our plan C? Let's start finding out about the cost of those players. They see Miller as their A number one priority, their prime fit. But I think the fact that they're moving on gives you an indication that at least they have some sort of sense from Vancouver that they're not sure what the Canucks want to do. So that probably tells you all you need to know in terms of priority list and the guys that they'd like to move first. Yeah, I, that makes more. I've never understood the uh, the urge of people to want to trade JT Miller. I didn't. I didn't really understand it at all. Um, now, hey, I because if if you trade JT Miller now, 
how much significantly more are you going to get? His value next year during the season at some point is still going to be incredibly high anyway. Yes. So give yourself a summer to see if potentially you can resign him. Otherwise, then uh, you can move him because now it's like you're just giving up and getting rid of one of your best players seems a little premature. So smart to hear that Jim is looking at that. Now, Frank, before we move on, I do want to ask you, I'm not sure if you saw the video. Um, it was uh, it was going around Twitter last night. It's from the USPHL where, and that's, of course, uh, a my, amateur uh, minor hockey in the United States. And uh, a player punched an official. I, I saw uh, numerous uh, officials quote tweeting it saying, like, this is the kind of garbage that goes on all the time at different levels of hockey. And I think it's one that really has to be looked at. Um, the statement from the USPHL commissioner, quote, the action taken today by a USPHL player is completely unacceptable. The US. PHL has zero tolerance for any player striking an official at any time. The player in question's actions have led to a lifetime ban. The incident is currently being investigated by local authorities, and as such, the USPHL will have no further comment at this time. And so for people who don't know, the USPHL is American Hockey League founded. It's only like 10 years old, Frank. Um, there's 60 organizations fielding teams. Um, it's a national collegiate development conference, right? Um, it's a tier three junior league in the U.S., yeah. And a lot of the teams actually started right, right. Sort of in my area in the Philly area, but they've gotten, the league has grown so much. There's a Florida division, a great lakes division, Midwest, Minnesota, like they're all over the place. It's really enormous. They actually have a Pacific division as well with teams in Fresno and Vegas and Lake Tahoe. It's, it's amazing to see how big the league has gotten, but Jay, I was a, I was a ref, um, I'd say from the time I was 14 to 18 and I loved it because when I was in high school, it was a way to make money, um, to keep skating, to see a different side of the game, maybe change your view a little bit in terms of how you speak to officials, how you treat officials. Um, and I never really had any incidents that got physical or got really heated, uh, and I, and I'm, I feel like I'm lucky for that. Cause I feel like that's all that happens now. And I feel like, unfortunately, this is not the first incident we've seen anywhere close to this, um, in the last number of years. And to see some of the reaction on social media from other people saying like, well, the ref should have done a better job or something like, are you kidding? Yeah. What? Give me a I, I can't, I can't believe that any parent watching that could say that they're okay with their son doing that. I just, it's, it blows my mind that that's even part of the conversation. And I just feel like we need a total reset. Like we're running, I don't know what it's like for you in Canada. We're running out of refs here. Oh, I can't tell you how many games I've showed up to coach this year in eight U hockey where the ref just doesn't show because we don't have one. Cause they're either were none or just didn't feel like working that day. And I, I ref the game myself. Mm-hmm. I, I've done it at least four times this year. Yeah, no, we haven't experienced that at all. They've got a, you know, a mentorship program going on here, but I, I've seen it in U 12 and U 14 and, you know, U 16 and parents in the crowd what they yell at kids who are, because let's make it no mistake, Frank, you started at 14. And that's what a lot of refs, you know, 14, 16, 17, 18, you know, they're officiating 12-year-old games and 13-year-old games. And you have these parents, absolute lunatics. And But but to me, it's a twofold problem. Number one, 
organizations, you have a head coach that says, okay, any of our parents yell, you're out. You have to start monitoring your own team and saying, okay, enough's enough. Plus the coaches themselves. Like it, why this, I'm allowed to freak out. Like if you had kids, like, do you think those parents would allow their kid at home to act that way? No chance. But suddenly, oh, little Johnny's special because, oh, geez, somebody wronged him on the ice. Well, now that allows him to act like a complete ass and that's okay. Like, I don't understand the hypocrisy of it ever as a parent where you're like, well, I said, would you allow that in your house? No. Oh, yeah, but it's different. No, it isn't different. And it's a real it's a real issue at every level. It's hockey moms. It's hockey dads. It's hockey coaches. It's hockey managers. And and the good ones, unfortunately, don't say anything. And it's hard. Don't get me wrong. It's very difficult to do. But you need more people to stand up because I would say the vocal are maybe 10 to 15%. And the other ones are really good parents. They're there, they enjoy, they clap. Hey, everybody, we're having fun. We know that this is minor hockey and let's be real here. It's not the 0.00001 who's gonna go anywhere. They're just having fun, which is awesome. And I think there needs to be more accountability from within to people to stop it. Because a lot of times people just, they move away. And I know I've talked to parents like, yeah, I sit at the other end of the rink because I don't wanna hear it. I'm like, but we're, we're not doing anything to stop it. And I, I don't mm-hmm. know, but the abuse of officials to me is, has gone on for far too long. And when you see people that, are, that feel so empowered that they can just punch an official and that's okay, it's, it's a real problem. I, I like that the league right away, yes. the same day, lifetime ban. It's not like, hey, we'll reevaluate this. It's like, we don't want anyone near our game doing anything like that, yeah, which awesome. I commend. And there's just far too many incidents and you read about them in the paper from time to time. I saw one not too far from me, maybe, you know, three months ago, parent after the game enters the, the referee's locker room and beats the crap out of the official All, like after the game. How, like, how is that? Who, who would think that that's acceptable and what happened that would cause you to do that? I, I just, it doesn't, it does not compute, does not connect to me. And, and I can understand why we have a a shortage of officials here. Why would you like, this is for beer money. This is not a a second, you know, significant income stream. They do it because they like it and want to give back for the most part. Yeah. I've, I've always said, I, and I don't know the logistics of it, but I would say if you play hockey, you have to ref a certain amount of games and your parents have to come. So now the parents come and watch their son or daughter officiate a game. Now you're going to sit there. And if one parent yells at your kid, how do you feel then? All of a sudden, oh, geez, I don't really like yeah. that. And, yeah, and I can't tell you, my dad would go to games all the time that I would ref. Because well, I couldn't drive. So he'd have yeah. to drive me and he'd stand there and watch. Yeah. And then you'd understand. He'd be like, hey, you know what? Yeah, refing's hard. Guess what? Ref kids are going to make a mistake just like players. Mm-hmm. Why do we expect officials to be perfect? Adults, perfect. adult referees, like they're not yes. like they aren't perfect. Yeah, neither are adult players, 100%. Their mistakes are going to happen. But I'm like the freaking out and I don't care what division your kid's playing in, like grab a clue. Seriously, reevaluate your life if you think it's okay to berate a 12 and 13 and 14 year old official because he missed a hooking call on your precious little Johnny. Like enough's enough. Yeah, well said. Let's bring in uh, Tyler Uramchuk. For a busy weekend of uh, betting. Ty, were you an official too? 
So I umpired baseball as a That's kid. That's what it is, yeah. Um, and the craziest moment I ever had, I was doing a game by myself. So I'm behind home plate. I'm the only umpire. And there was, I guess, a storm rolling in behind me. So I couldn't see it. And there was this mom who was screaming at me because she said she saw lightning. And she's like, you can't let the kids play. And I was like, well, I haven't seen lightning. So I told both coaches, I was like, hey, guys, if you see lightning, you got to let me know. Game keeps going on. And she just keeps screaming at me that there's lightning. And I was like, I can't do anything because I can't see the lightning. If the coaches see it, we'll call the game. She actually came up to me in my car after while I was changing and just started screaming about how I put her kid in danger by letting him play in the lightning. And I was like, you could have taken him out at any moment in that game. It's hilarious. Was Did you ever have any close calls with a bat or a ball? That like as the home plate umpire, that would terrify me. Yeah. So the worst was like a game would get if you're umpiring a game that's getting out of hand, teams kind of, you know, let kids play other positions. So they'd let like a different kid play back catcher. And if the back catcher can't catch the ball, well, you're screwed because you're just sitting there getting peppered. Right. So you'd be sitting there and you'd see like, you know, a, whatever it would be like a third or a fourth string catcher, some kid who just wants to try and have fun. And you're like, oh, my God, I still got like 40 minutes of this. And this kid is going to let me get peppered for the next 20 minutes of this inning. It was terrible. That's that's one position where yeah. you cannot forget your cup. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I always had an extra one in the bag in case I forgot it. Um, <laughs> let's get into uh, fill in the blank brought to you by our friends over at DoorDash. Damn it. I forgot to go to the ding dong. Ah, One day I'll get this right, you guys. There we go. Brought to you by DoorDash. That was terrible. Was I'm that? still, dude, I am still and laughing. Doorbell. I'm still laughing about our guy, Liam. That is like an all-timer. <laughs> we could just play that. He should just cut that clip in. Every I know. I keep, I keep meaning to do it. Uh, all right. You guys were talking about points percentage. Obviously, Frank, we know that drives you nuts. Gregor, you were talking about uh, the crossover. Question one. I just came up with this one. Your biggest hockey pet peeve is blank. Anyone got one right off the top of their head? Yeah, I'm I'm done with the shootout, man. And loser point. End it. All right. Loser point. Yeah, that's not a bad one. I don't really have one. Is that lame? Mine is when you see the the drop in the gloves after a clean hit. That one just still drives me nuts when you see it. It'll be a guy who just gets his bell rung and like nothing. It was shoulder to chest, and all of a sudden there's like a melee at the blue line for like no reason. Yeah, I don't I don't know. Nothing really drives me crazy. So we'll keep it with the points percentage one. That's the only one. I just, yeah, there's such a discrepancy still in games played. Like I don't, this is not a battle for first place. That's already been decided. <laughs> uh, the Montreal Canadians have two picks in the first round this coming season or this coming draft, which they host by the end of the trade deadline. The Canadians will have blank first round picks in the upcoming draft. Frank. Four if they want them. They'll get one for Ben Sherrod and Arturi Lekkinen if they decide to move them. All right. Greg's? It's at least three they're getting. Yeah. I was going to I'm saying Frank says four. I'm saying three. If they find someone to take Petrie, maybe five? That's, uh, they're not getting a first round back. I oh, they're not? Oh, yeah. they, they're, well, unless they're willing to retain the proper salary. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, Chris Letang. Eighth in points in the entire NHL since the calendar flipped to 2022 pending UFA. Chris Letang, his next AAV will be blank. Jason? If he stays in Pittsburgh, it's going to be lower because he's staying 
for, he, he doesn't need why well, I, I don't know what he's done with his money but i would assume he doesn't need you know the money he's probably uh been you know pretty good with his money i would hope 70 so, million dollars career yeah, earnings i'm, I'm gonna say 5.5 all right i think you are way off Ooh. I think Chris Letang's number starts with a seven. The big question is term. Chris Letang wants term. Now, I guess now that I think of Joe Pavelski at his age, got three years at seven bills. So yeah, I was probably yeah, what, 6.5. Is there anything wrong with three times seven? Stays in Pittsburgh though. Uh, I don't know about that. Mm. I don't know. Like, so here, here's my wild theory about Pittsburgh. And it just, you know, just totally invented in my own head. What if the Penguins keep Brian Rust and Chris Letang and let Evgeny Malkin walk? Oof. I just Letting, just kind of yeah. just floating that out there. What like Rust has been really productive, but they don't have the money to sign all three. Which which guy's the odd man out? I think everyone's assumed to this point that it'll be Rust. Yeah, Russ might be the one that caught, like he might be the one in line for such a massive payday, right? Jump. So yeah. I think Russ's number though starts with a five. So you say well, you would save money going with Rust over Malkin. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Malkin is Malkin's you know, he's, injuries, Frank. That's the one thing, right? He like he misses 20 games a year. I, I I've had this working theory about the Penguins forever. I think they're actually better without Malkin. I think they play better without Malkin than with him. Hmm. Interesting. Do you think there's any chance? That's like, a good thing to look into. I got to look that one up. <laughs> um, Greg's mentioned the injuries. Do you think there's any chance he goes just like the Datsuk route where he just kind of goes, ah, man, I've been hurt a lot. I've made a ton of money. I'm, I'm going to go just play, play at home for a little bit. What was his quote a few weeks ago in the media? I don't need the money. I am a rich man. Yeah. <laughs> well, exactly. Like he he, he's, he's, he's one of the highest earners of all time. Um, he's, he's right up there. His career earnings are $117.1 million. And with the amount of money left paid this year, he will crack 120 million. Hmm. Wow. All right. Last one I got for you. Um, Frank, you were the one who initially tweeted it out, but the quote that made Brad Marchand lose his cool on paint, there's three or a couple of penguins questions in a row, but quote that made him lose his cool was how about that effing save? Um, that is not an all time chirp at all. And Brad Marchand still lost his mind. Um, but your question is the best chirp you've heard in an NHL game or any hockey game, I suppose is blank. Frank. Uh, Jay, you go first. Um, well, the, the one that still stands out, I was in the crowd actually. So this is Chris Chelios was playing defense for the Chicago Blackhawks. Would have been in the uh, late 90s. Must have and, had good seats. Um, yeah, we were in the low, dude, lower bowl, trust me. In Edmonton back then, we could, get a, <laughs> we could get a lower bowl for uh, for nothing. Anyway, so the orders weren't very good, I don't think. And the Chicago came in. Chris Chelis just dominated. He played like 30-some minutes. He ends up being first star of the game. And back then, the first star used to come out at the Zamboni entrance. And there was no tarp or anything covering it. So Chelios comes out, and he does a real big circle, and he's got the big wave going on the road. So just kind of rubbing it in. I like it. As some guys just give Chelios, you're a loop bomb. He's just swearing at him, right? And Chelios stops when he comes off the ice. He looks at his buddy, says, hey, Pud, 
I made more money tonight than you'll make all year. F you. And the guy, his buddies were roaring. Like the guy had <laughs> nothing. He just shut him right down. It uh, was funny. So I think one of the best burns that I heard was actually all, it was it was off the ice and it was in the media. And I gotta I gotta find this guy's name. So there was a, a little spat going on in the 2010 Stanley Cup final. And and Chris Pronger, no surprise to anyone, was always at the center of it all. And you know, there was at some point, I think it was the Chicago Sun Times. At, you know, at some point had a cover of Chris Pronger in the lead up to the cup final that, that called him Chrissy. And he was in a figure skating outfit on the, on the cover of the paper. And there was this player on, on right. Chicago that just absolutely kept chirping him. Andrew uh, Burrish. Was it Burrish? Adam Burrish. Yeah. That was the guy I had to find his name. And uh, at some point in his interview after winning the cup final, where he didn't play in the game. I, I think he didn't play or dress for the game. He was just like, was one of those guys that uh, a black ace that threw on his gear and was out there celebrating. Um, and he said something like, yeah, he's like, I can't wait to get Chris Pronger next year. And so we had this, uh, you know, end of season wrap up with, with Pronger and um, he, Adam Burris, I'm just checking to make sure he did play three games in the final, but not the clincher. And so we're asking Chris Pronger about it. And he's like, Hey, Adam Barris said he's going to get you next year. And Prongs just totally stopped deadpan. He goes, Oh yeah. Where's that? The minors. And <laughs> it was just like, <laughs> it was perfect. Cause it was like, that guy was never really a factor again in the NHL. I guess Chris Pronger knew it and uh, well served, well played. <laughs> Very good. Um, all right, let's wrap it up with our points bet bonus question. Looking at the divisional favorites that they got posted up at points bet, uh, the Calgary Flames minus two thirteen favorites to win their division. They're big favorites there. The Avalanche minus two thousand favorites to win their division. Massive there. And in the Metro, the Canes are minus two forty four. Canes, Colorado, and Calgary. Do all three of them hold on to win the division, Frank? I would be looking at. Tell me what the odds are for the Vegas Golden Knights to win the Pacific. Plus 225. That is a bargoon right there. All right. Jay. I think they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna get it together here. And not to say I don't think Calgary can continue on. I think Calgary's pretty good, but of all the teams that I think there could be a switch in division winner or leader, it's that one. Well, their their point uh, to use Frank's points percentage, they're point <laughs> five nine behind Calgary. Currently, Pittsburgh is point six two behind Carolina, which isn't a race for first. But Vegas is. Hmm. I'm not buying it, Frank. I'm kidding. <laughs> but I look at uh, um, Calgary. Vegas has right. led the division in points percentage for I'd say the eighty percent. Yeah. Of the, oh, yeah. of the season since, since Calgary the Oilers started shitting the bed in December. Yeah. They, uh, Hey, Jack Eichel got two points again last night against uh, San Jose starting to find his legs uh, mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, although Vegas, Hey, uh, the, I do wonder about Robin Leonard, Frank, maybe we'll get to that in a sec, but, um, I'm going to say all three win the division. All right, there you go. And that's a wrap on another edition of buyer sell delivered by DoorDash. Promo code DFO or sorry, promo code rundown DD gets you 25% off and no delivery fees on your first order. Boom. Now, speaking of uh, Vegas, Frank, I don't know if uh, you watched any of their, uh, their game last night against the, uh, the San Jose Sharks, but uh, no Robin Leonard, uh, no, uh, no Lauren Brissois. They're down to uh, 
you know, they, they went with the, uh, the, the youngster in goal and Thompson and Matt, he was unreal. Like mm. he, San Jose had loads of shots early on and he was stoning them. What are you hearing? How serious is the Robin Leonard injury? You know, it's really odd. I heard a full throated denial of my story about Mark Andre Fleury and the Vegas Golden Knights expressing interest in a potential reunion. But I didn't hear anyone ask Kelly McCrimmon about the veracity of the other part of the story, which was about Robin Leonard's injury, in which I disclosed that he has a torn labrum in his shoulder and they're not sure if he can gut it out. He needs surgery, like 100% needs surgery. Is it now? Is it in the offseason? Can he possibly grind his way through it? Either way, it, it made it really easy for me when looking at each team's top objectives and I finished the Vegas Golden Knights in the Pacific Division in our four-part series on dailyfaceoff.com on Friday, they need a goalie. Mm -hmm. It's just ironic to me that the team that traded away the reigning Vezina Trophy winner for nothing now finds themselves in a spot where goaltending on a team overloaded and in parentheses on the cap overloaded with talent needs a goalie. <laughs> and really, Frank, you know, you mentioned Flurry. Outside of Flurry, which goalies are there really? Like there's maybe Brayden Holby in Dallas if, if they fall out of it. Um, maybe Lomoff in, in New York, right? But but he's got term. So there's not a lot of options for goaltenders. I I, I think Georgiev makes a lot of sense. But if you're the Rangers, does it make sense to to go to the post? Because you need a goalie back. Well, you need right. a goalie back, but you could find one. Like you could trade for Martin Jones. Yeah. Okay. You you could, you know, you could find you only need a second tier guy if you're the Rangers, because you because Shesterkin is so yeah. good. All you're really protecting against is injury. Yeah. But I I I kind of I don't know. I Maybe Vegas goes after Corpusalo just because, like, I don't know. I, I Corpusalo has had numbers in the eights for multiple seasons yeah. now. He's not my I, guy either, but people seem to love him. I don't get it. I mean, Georgiev is a, is a restricted free agent with Arb rights that is only going to get a one year deal if you take him to Arb. So he, it's happening at some point, whether it's in the summer or whether it's now. Alexander Georgiev is not going to be a Ranger next next season. Yeah, no, I I, I would agree with that wholeheartedly. Same thing with Corpus Allo. He's not going to be a blue jacket. He's a pending UFA. He's going somewhere. Mm -hmm. and, and, and what's interesting about Corpus Allo, for instance, and I also, the same is true with Yorgev is non-playoff teams should be interested in these guys because this might be yes. your chance to get ahead of the goalie market. If you really like one of them. Yeah. I'm with you on that one wholeheartedly. You wait till the summer when everyone can bid. That doesn't make any sense. So, so Georgiev, you know, his career numbers are good. He's been in a little bit of a swoon of late. His career save percentage is like nine ten. He's played in the league a surprising amount of time. His first season where he got a taste was 17-18. That's, you know, that's like the last time Andrew Hammond and those guys played. That was awesome, eh? <laughs> but but think about that. That's how long Georgiev has been in the league and, and to have a 9-10. And he's 26. Like he's really just beginning to crack open the window for a goalie in his development terms. 
I don't know. That'd be the guy I'd be all over. Like good for the hamburger though, Frank. To you know what they had a, the miracle run the one year with Ottawa, and then he's out of the league for five years uh, to get back in. And that's you know what uh, I love the guys who you know they reach the dream, and then they go to the America and they just keep chasing it. Right? And so I have a lot of credit for guys like that. JF Barube as well. Yep. He yeah, was in he Columbus was. last night. I have the stats here. First NHL win since April 4th, 2018. Hammond, his first NHL win since April 9th, 2016. So both of them got their first NHL starts in more than 1,400 days. Both of them won. And it's been a long time coming. Yeah, oh, for sure. Uh, Marty St. Louis, the magic in Montreal, Frank. We'll, uh, we'll touch on that uh, on Friday as uh, uh, we should have a, a good guest coming up on Friday as well. Have yourself a good week, Frank, and uh, we will see how it goes. Uh, enjoy the points percentage. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Cervalli and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.